Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 10th of February 2013, entitled The Fish Gate, and the Bible reading is taken from Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 3. Here's Brother Steve Elliott. Well, very good evening. Um, Shall we go to Jerusalem again? (laughs) Sure, it's a bit warmer out there, but maybe not too much. Uh, we were in the city yesterday afternoon and we bought um, a magazine. On the front page of the magazine, had a picture of Jerusalem, um, a recent picture, um, Jerusalem in the snow. Absolutely amazing. White as, as, this, as Birmingham a few weeks ago. It's incredible. But um, let's go to Jerusalem again. And um, chapter 3 of Nehemiah, if you don't know where that is. You find the book of Chronicles, Second Chronicles, then over into Ezra, and then you're into Nehemiah. And uh, we're actually looking here at the year around 444 years before Jesus was born. Okay, and uh, we remember from uh, last time that uh, Nehemiah um, had it in his heart to go um, to view the city of Jerusalem. Um, we know that... Um, that his people were in distress and the, and the building had stopped of Jerusalem again. And um, we saw that um, in chapter 2, verse 17, that Jerusalem lieth waste, the gates thereof burned with fire. And um, so Nehemiah now, um, he's wanting to start this building again. And uh, last time, I think it was a few weeks ago, we were looking at the first gate that was, um, that was built, and that was the sheep gates. That's in chapter 3 and verse 1. And uh, there are actually 10 gates um, which are mentioned in chapter 3. And uh, these are the gates. If you want to have a look at that later, feel free to, uh, to have a look at it. Um, if you can just see here the north of Jerusalem, this is where the sheep gate was. And uh, I would imagine that if this was Jerusalem today, that this would be around where the Damascus gate is today. Okay? It would probably be on the same side here. And... Um, so that was the first gate. Uh, ten gates mentioned, and each gate has a different name. And uh, these names were unique, and they had a specific message that we're going to have a, a look at through these through this series about our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the next gate that we're going to be looking at, that Nehemiah comes to, is the fish gate. And uh, we're going to just take uh, the scripture reading from verse 3. So if you'd, like to, uh, if you'd like to just stand in honour of the reading of God's word, it's only one verse. Um, it says, But the fish gate did the sons of Hassaniah build, who also laid the beams thereof, and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. Please be seated. Okay. So, first question, why was this called the fish gate, and what was it used for? Well, all the reading that I could do, what I found out was that fishermen, specifically from the Galilee, would come to Jerusalem with their catch, and basically this is the gate that they would go through, and uh, they would sell their fish. Um, maybe not just peop- uh, fishermen from Galilee, but maybe there were also fishermen from the Mediterranean, maybe there were sea fish, 
Maybe there was fish also from the Red Sea, which is down near Elat today. Um, but when they brought this catch, they would have gone through this gate, the fish gate. Okay, and I'm sure that um, if you were possibly a blind person and you were walking around Jerusalem, you would sure know which gate you were walking past when you were at the fish gate. Okay, um, but for us, the fish gate speaks to us of evangelism. You know, we have been called to be fishes of men. And um, the pastor, the last few weeks, been bringing a brilliant series on worship. And part of our worship is witness. And uh, we're going to be looking a little about this tonight. And um, I think that the pastor stole a lot of my thunder. But it doesn't matter because, uh, you know, this thunder um, has been there a lot longer than when the pastor prepared his sermon. It's it's been going on for at least, at least 2,000 years, so it doesn't, man, doesn't matter if it's been repeated. Um, it's just going to be re-emphasized tonight. Um, Jesus said in Mark 1, verse 17, he says, unto his disciples, he said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. This is the will of Jesus Christ. He wants us to be fishers of men, Okay? doesn't want us to go out and catch men with hooks and bring them in. We've been singing about bringing your sheaves in, okay? But he wants us to go out and he wants us to win men, women, and children with the gospel to Jesus Christ. Um, so if we just think back about the first gate, the first gate spoke to us about sacrifice. This was the place where we start our Christian life. If you haven't been to the Sheep Gate, if you haven't seen the sacrifice that was sacrificed for you in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, you need to go back there and you need to get saved, okay? Because without seeing Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God that was slain for your sins, it's just all waste of time. It's just religion. You need to go to the Sheep Gate. You need to go to Calvary to where Jesus was crucified I'm not saying physically, but spiritually, you need to come to Jesus tonight and you need to ask Jesus to become your personal saviour. The first gate spoke of sacrifice. The second gate that we come to, the fish gate, okay, is like a natural progression in the Christian life. Once we've been to the sheep gate, once we've been saved, the natural progression for us as Christians is what? It's to tell other people, isn't it? To tell people about Jesus. Tell people what he's done for us. And it doesn't matter how long you've been saved or for how short that you've been saved. It doesn't matter. If you've been saved, you've got a testimony. You've got a, something to witness to somebody about. How Jesus saved you. So it's a natural progression. After the sheep gate comes the fish gate. We need to be fishers of men. And if you've been saved tonight, this is what you need to be doing, and, and myself. Um, I read last night that surveys have shown that believers who have been saved less than two years win most people to the Lord. That's just something I read last night, okay? doesn't um, specifically mean that you have to be a young person, but it's saying basically that somebody who's been saved less than two years 
they win most people to the Lord. Um, why do we need to be fishers of men? Well, we're going to have a look at two reasons tonight. The first one is, is because of the command. Now, the pastor has been emphasizing this for the last few weeks, that it's a commandment that we have. You know that most Christians forget that evangelism is not an option. It's not something that we can just say, oh, I'll decide to do that when I've been a Christian a little bit longer down the road, maybe six months, 12 months, maybe a couple of years, and then maybe I'll just drop into the, uh, you know, the um, outreach one Saturday. Once I've done my, um, you know, I've done my studying and I've, I've got myself. No, it's not like that. <laughs> We've been commanded. It's an obligation to witness for Jesus Christ. And it starts the day that you get saved. If you read some of the accounts in the Bible, you know, you read some of the accounts of some of these people that got saved. They didn't hang around in Jerusalem or they didn't hang around waiting. They went out straight away and they told people what Jesus had done for them. That's what we need to be doing. Let me just go through a, a few references concerning the command to witness, okay? Matthew 28, we all know this one, but let's turn there again and be reminded. We were looking at um, this a few weeks ago with the pastor. Matthew chapter 28, <clears throat> and uh, the pastor was sharing a verse from Mark this morning, which we're going to be looking at as well. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. And it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them. Who did he speak to? He spoke to his disciples, these that were going to be fishers of men. These were the, these were the ones that the Lord had chosen. Yeah, he says, All power is given unto me, where? In heaven and in earth. Notice in verse 19, he says, Go ye, the next word, therefore, because all this power in heaven and upon the earth is given unto me, therefore, he says, Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. He's got commandments that he wants his people to teach. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Jesus was saying that because all power belongs to him, that we are to go. We have no excuses. We can't say, I'm a weak, I'm weak, or I have no experience. We can't say things like that. We need to rely upon the strength of Jesus Christ. And when we do, all that power there is available. And he will, he will help us. He will give us the power. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. We can't save anybody. We can't. doesn't matter how nice we may share the gospel with somebody, Unless God is at work through his Holy Spirit, when we are sharing the gospel, no person's going to get saved. It's all 
It's all to do with Jesus. But we are to go in that power that he's given. How long is this commandment valid for? For many Christians, it probably started and finished maybe within one or two weeks of, I don't know, getting saved or maybe a couple of years down the line. People just drop out. They lose interest. But how long is this commandment valid for Christians? Well, let's just have a look. He says in verse 20, he says, even unto the end of the world. When is the end of the world? When's that going to happen? Well, it's basically going to happen when Jesus Christ returns, when he finishes it up, when that judgment day arrives, the day of the Lord. There's going to be no more opportunities after that. So this commandment is as valid 2,000 years ago as it is right now for us. We can't say it's an old-fashioned commandment or it's, it's, under, it's a commandment under the law. No, it's valid until the end of time. How far-reaching is this commandment? Well, let's just have a look at Mark chapter 16, the verse that Pastor was sharing this morning. How far-reaching is this commandment? Mark 16 and verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to who? Every creature. That's every people and that's every place. We can't say um, there's a place upon this earth or a people upon this earth who this commandment to go out and to preach the gospel and to reach these people. There is not a place upon this earth where these people don't need to hear it. It needs to be spread all over the world to every people. And it's doing, it's doing that. You know, Jesus said, didn't he? He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And we know today that even in this room, we have people from all different ends of the world. So this commandment is being fulfilled. But is it being fulfilled in our lives personally? Okay. How serious is this commandment that Jesus gave? Let's just turn back to Mark 16 again. And verse 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Is that serious? It sure is. To be damned means there's no hope. That is it, finished. Have you believed on Christ Jesus yet for salvation? If you're in this room tonight, have you believed in Jesus Christ to be your saviour? If you have, wonderful. You're saved. If you've not, the Bible says that there's going to come a day where you will be damned if you believe not. If you can continue in that unbelief, Let's just have a look at another commandment that Jesus gives about witnessing. John chapter 14, sorry, John chapter 20. Pastor also mentioned this one a few weeks ago as well. <coughs> Maybe this one's not as well uh, thought about, but it's a commandment nevertheless. And uh, we know that here, after Christ's resurrection, that he's appearing to Mary, he's appearing to uh, his disciples. And verse 21 
Then said Jesus to them, again, peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. There it is, verse 21, the commandment. Even so send I you. And I want you to notice in verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. I want you to notice just before that Jesus gives this command to go, he does something in verse 19. Let's just turn back there. Verse 19, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And verse 20. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then, they were, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And I want you to just notice here that just before Jesus gives his disciples this command to go, he sends them forth. He shows them his wounds. He says, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side as well. And I believe that the disciples were glad they saw that it was the Lord. But I believe that seeing these wounds in our Savior just reminded them of what it cost Jesus to die for our sins on that cross. They saw that just before the Lord left. And, you know, I believe it's one of the things that we have missed. It's one of the things that we need to see again in our lives. We need to see those wounds. We need to see what it cost the Lord Jesus Christ to die for our sins. But you know, we just hear the gospel. We hear it so many times. We hear about but we need to have a fresh sight of our Savior and what it cost him on that cross. He's the Son of God, and he died for mine and for your sins. I believe that when we get a fresh sight of what it cost Jesus to die on that cross, it would help us in our evangelism. We'd be more zealous. We'd be more thankful. We'd love the Lord Jesus Christ more see what he went through for me and for you. I wonder tonight, do you think that you have lost sight of what it cost our Savior? Do you know if there was no other reason for us to go, a command would be a good start? You know, when Jesus gives a command, it's not just an option. We have to do it. Let me just show, share a few scriptures with you about our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, um, that the Lord Jesus Christ is spoken of in the Bible as meek and lowly, isn't he? And he is. But do you know that he's also a commander as well? Let's just turn to a few scriptures. Isaiah 55. Isaiah chapter 55. And here we see... A prophetic reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Ho, 
Every one that first have come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat, yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labour for that which satisfieth not? And he says, Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden. This is the Lord speaking. Verse 3, Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. And notice in verse 4, Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. This refers to the Messiah. That word commander is in the Hebrew, seva, sevaah. And this refers to the Messiah as the chief governor. It refers to him as the king of kings and the lord of lords. We know, don't we, from Isaiah chapter 9, that the government shall be upon his shoulders. Um, but he is the Lord of lords. He is the king of kings. He is a commander. Revelation chapter 19, and let's just have a, a view, a prophetic view of your future. If you're a Christian here tonight, <clears throat> Let's have a look at our commander and what he's going to do in the tribulation period, at the end of the tribulation. And we read in verse 11, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. He's a commander. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was, he was, his, he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. John chapter 1, verse 1. And then verse 14. If you're a Christian here tonight, I believe this is a reference to us when we're going to return with our Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, And the armies which were in heaven, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine white, white uh, sorry, fine linen, white and clean. And out of, his right, out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress and the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh and name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is the commander. He is the commander-in-chief. He's our leader. He is the one who gives the commandments, and we need to obey them. John 18, verse 37. <clears throat> you know that a leader should lead by example. Any leader that doesn't lead by example is a hypocrite, and the people are going to be turned away straight away. But let's have a look at our Lord Jesus. You know, he leads by example. 
John 18 and verse 37. And this is why Jesus was born into this world. Pilate therefore saith unto him, Art thou a king? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am. And then he says, To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. Why? That I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Our commander leads by example. He says here that that the reason he came into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Remember Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Didn't he? Jesus witnessed the people. He testified to them of who God is, what God requires. He led by example through his life. But he led by example by telling people who God is and what he requires. What a great commander he is. He's no hypocrite. When Jesus said that he came to witness of the truth, he did just that. We that say that I love Jesus, are we obeying his commandment to witness tonight? Pastor reminded us of a verse, didn't he? John 14 and verse 15, Jesus says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. It's as simple as that. We don't need to go and get a PhD, a doctorate in theology to understand that, do we? It's simple. If you love me, keep my commandment. He's commanded us to be fishers of men. He's commanded us to be a witness for him. Why do we need to be fishers of men? Well, the first reason is, is because of the command. The second reason is because of the concern. It's not enough to only witness out of obligation. We must have a concern for souls. The Lord doesn't want to drag us around. The Lord doesn't want us to be saying, oh, I don't want to go on the outreach today. I don't want to have to witness to anyone today. He doesn't want that. He's commanded us to go, but he wants us to go with a willing heart. And he wants us to go with a heart that has a concern for lost people. Matthew chapter 9. Let's have a look at our leader again. And let's see how he leads with concern for the lost. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9 And verse 36 says, But when he, this is Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Why? Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. You see, Jesus had something that motivated him to reach people. And it was his concern that motivated him. He had compassion on them. But when he saw the multitudes, he says, he was moved with compassion. You know, one of the reasons that we don't move very often when it comes to witnessing is because we have a lack of passion. It says here that he was moved with compassion on them. 
Jesus was concerned that these people that he loved were without a shepherd. And without a shepherd, these people would perish and that they would be condemned as well. Not about you, but I love animals. I love sheep. And, you know, when we go on holiday, we, um, we very often go to a place where there's a farm. And um, the last place that we went to, there were sheep that just really came right up to our doors. And they're lovely, um, soft. They really are, aren't they? Soft animals. And um, even my dog, you know, when my dog comes face to face with somebody or a, another animal, he, he usually starts barking at them. But because these sheep were so... Um, quiet they didn't utter a, a sound and my dog didn't either and they sort of came face to nose to nose face to face and sheep are like that um but you know if you scare sheep they will go running off and they'll go in all directions frightened they need a shepherd that's going to take care of them they need a shepherd that's going to look after them and love them nurture them feed them Take them to where they're going to find water. Give them what they need. Nourish them. This is what the lost people need in this world today. They need a saviour. They need a shepherd who cares for them. Jesus led the way. He had concern for the lost. John 3 verse 16. Let's just turn there. We could quote this off pat, but let's not do that. Let's just be reminded of exactly what he says. And let's see again the concern that Jesus has. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. You know, we can read that so quick and just skip over it. God so loves the world. How do we know that? Because he gives his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Then it says that whosoever believeth in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is what God wants people to have, everybody. He wants them to have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. When you meet a lost person tomorrow and you look at that person, be reminded of this verse, that that person that you're looking at is condemned. Why? Because he's not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. God so loved the world, we see his concern for the lost. Matthew 18 and verse 11, what a, a verse this is. The context is speaking about children. <clears throat> and he's speaking about offending one of these little ones that believe in, in him. And um, notice why the Lord Jesus Christ came. Yes, he came for these children, but he also came for the adults as well. Verse 11 says, For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. Jesus Christ is concerned for the lost. How do we know that? 
Well, he left his glory, came down to this earth, this sin-cursed earth, was spat upon, was beaten and rejected, despised, and he was nailed and hung on a cross. Son of God, and he did it for you and for me because he wants to save us. And the verse says that this is the reason why Christ came. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. You know, um, if anyone wants to know the reason why I use the King James Bible, because I believe that this book is doctrinally superior than any modern version. When you compare them, you do your own little study, but you compare them doctrine for doctrine, this book will come up winner every time. You know that Matthew 18, verse 11, you won't find it in the modern versions. Most of them, you won't find it. It's out. The verse is missing. And what does that do? That takes an important doctrine out. It weakens the doctrine, not only of salvation, but it weakens the doctrine of evangelism as well. Witnessing. It's in there. Jesus had concern for the lost. The Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the will of our Lord Jesus Christ tonight. He's not willing that one, one person perishes. So we see, first of all, the concern of the Saviour. What about the concern of the saints? Are we concerned that people are perishing all around us? Or are we more bothered about which TV programme we're going to watch on a Saturday morning or which TV programme we're going to watch on a Saturday evening? Are we concerned about the lost? Are we? Do we really love Jesus? Do we? We say we do. We sing that we do. But Jesus says, if you love me, he says, keep my commandments, doesn't he? Where is our concern tonight? Are we doing all that we can to reach the lost? Only you can ask that for yourself. I can't answer that question. I can only answer it for myself. Are we involving ourselves in personal witness? How is it going where you are in the daytime? You don't have an excuse to say, well, the Lord can't use me in this place. If there are people there, he can. And you know that he can use you in that place more than he will be able to use the pastor or myself or any other person. You're in that place. I'm not in that place. You're not in the place where I go to work. But you are with those people in that place at that time. That time may never come again. But for this time, that's where you are. And you have an opportunity to be a witness. You may be at university. You can't say there's no opportunities here. They're all around you. You may be at work. You may be without work. There's no excuses. 
There are people all around us, but are we concerned for the lost? Are we? Let's have a look at a couple of scriptures to see the concern of some of the saints in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. And this is the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. And Paul says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Paul realized if Jesus died for everybody, then everybody must be dead in sin and on their way to a lost eternity. But he says, the love of Christ constraineth us. It means that he gets a hold of us. And we have to do it. There's no other way. There's no other option. The love of Christ. That's what we need tonight. We need that compassion and concern. We need the love of Christ to constrain us to do it. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 16. You know, there may be some difficult people that you come across to witness. And I come across them just like you're going to come across them. But, you know, I believe that, you know, the Bible says um, that the fear of man bringeth a snare. God has not given us the spirit of fear. He hasn't. We need to get a fresh look of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to have that love of Christ to constrain us. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 16, and we see again Paul, he says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Paul is constrained to preach the gospel. And he's saying he, does it, he, has, he has to do it, he does it out of necessity. Because of the love of Christ that constrains him to do it. And he says, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. We dare not hide our light under a bushel. We, had, we, we dare not hide this message from the lost. You know how many people turned up for the last door-to-door -door that we had? We had four people on the doors. Now, I don't know how many members that we have in our congregation. It's probably around 40. What's that, a tenth? Um, I know that everybody cannot make it. And, you know, that's between you and the Lord, and you have some good reasons why sometimes, um, that you can't make it. Pray, please, pray for us. What, four people? Five. Yeah, you're right. Five people. Whoa. It's getting higher, isn't it? <laughs> Five people out of a congregation. How many people can we get in here on a, on a Sunday morning sometimes? Maybe more than 30, you know? Four, five people. Are we concerned about the lost tonight? Where is our concern for the lost today? So we see the concern of the Saviour, the saints, but lastly I want us to think tonight about the concern of the sinner. If you're a 
person in here tonight who doesn't know Jesus Christ as his personal saviour, I want you to see that you need to have a concern for yourself. Luke chapter 16. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 16. And this is a well-known story of the rich man and Lazarus. And we're going to read um, from verse 23. We know that um, Lazarus died. The Bible says that he was taken into Abraham's bosom. The rich man died also and he was buried. And then in verse 23, we pick up and we find out where this rich man ended up, where he was. Verse 23 says, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Jesus Christ has given us here a vision of hell. That's incredible. He's given us a description. He's given us a communication. He's given us people, names of people who were there. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. We see here that this sinner, the rich man, he had a concern for his own soul. He says, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. He realizes that he is no hope. He's lost, but he's got a family. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Do you think there are people tonight in hell saying those same things? I do. I really do. Why would there be any different? Why would there be any different communication tonight? Hell is hell. It's the same place. The lost go there. They wait for the judgment. They're tormented there. They're there right now. They know that they've no hope. They can't get out. But they also know, they remember, the Bible says, that they have a family. They have friends, people around them. And he's saying, go and send somebody to witness to them. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They have the word of God. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Oh? And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. The concern of a lost sinner. You know what the difference is between you and this rich man tonight? If you're a lost person tonight, do you know the difference between you and this man who is in hell tonight? Well, the difference is 
is that he is lost and he has no hope. You're lost, but you have a hope. That's good news. It's not all bad news tonight. That is good news for you if you are lost tonight, that there is a hope for you. You don't need to end up in that place. Are you concerned about your eternal soul? Isaiah 55 verse 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Paul said, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2, Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Now. If you're lost, the Bible says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. He's near tonight. He's here. Salvation is available. Why wait any longer? Why put it off? Now is the accepted time. If you're a non-Christian tonight, call ye upon him and get saved. If you are a Christian, let's pray that we can be more committed. As the pastor was speaking this morning about winning lost souls. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for your precious word tonight. Thank you, dear Lord, for some of these truths that we can be reminded of. And we thank you, most of all, for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the saviour of the world. And he came and died for our sins. We thank you, dear Lord, for those of us here this morning, uh, sorry, this evening, who have come to the Sheep Gate, who have come to Calvary, to Jesus Christ for salvation. We thank you so much. Lord, we'll ever be thanking you for what you've done for us. But Lord, out of our thankfulness tonight, help us, dear Lord, to be more committed. Help each one of us to be more committed to reaching the lost all around us, whether it's personal or whether it's corporate, whether it's with this church. Use us, we pray. And Lord, if there is one tonight who has never come to Jesus Christ, we pray that they may call upon him while he is near. Today is the day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.